Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. In this episode, I'm interviewing Catherine Leano, my bright and wise sister whose episode Bloom Where You're Planted has the most downloads of any episode on Bright Wings. In this conversation, we're going to be talking about gardening. You'll be encouraged to embrace your creatureliness. You'll hear how gardening can help you and your children become more human, more resilient, more creative, and you'll be challenged to make your backyard a different kind of oasis. We have an incredible book list for this episode in the show notes, and if you stay tuned all the way to the end of the episode, there is an Easter egg. So Katie Kins, you do so much gardening with your boys, um, but I've never really sat down and talked to you about it as sisters. I sort of assume that I know what you're thinking and that I know what you're doing as siblings are, are often, as siblings often do, but it's kind of fun to have this opportunity to talk to you about what's behind your gardening. You're gardening on your own and you're gardening with your sons. So I'm really happy that you're able to talk with me today about this. Thank you for inviting me to do this. It was actually good for me to sit down and think about it. Think it all through. Okay, Katie, since we're going to be talking about gardening, I will. I think it would be helpful for us to understand your gardening context. So can you tell us approximately how big your house is, approximately how big your yard is? Uh, tell us how many children you have. And then since we're environment is really important, tell me where in the United States you're gardening. Yes. So I we live in Southeast Texas in a major city, and we have just sort of a normal for the city size lot. It's about 8,000 square feet. We have about a 2,000 square foot house. It's three bedrooms. We have three kids, uh, three boys, in fact. We have a detached garage uh, and two big oak trees. Being Southeast Texas, you get a lot of gumbo soil. It's very rich. There's lots of nutrients in it, but it tends to smother roots of plants if you don't have the right kind of plants. I think probably every yard has its Achilles heel. Yours is gumbo, but sometimes I think I am my own Achilles heel for my yard. I have a friend who jokes about having a brown thumb, but keep going. Tell us, why do you garden, Katie? Uh, I can't help it. <laughs> it's something that I enjoy doing and I sort of have a hard time. It's one of these things like, why do you love the man you're married to or whatever, you know, it's, it's something, gardening is something that makes me a better human. At the risk of getting too uh, highfalutin, I'm going to refer to Leisure, the Basis of Culture by a man named Joseph Pieper. It really, really jived with what the way that I experience gardening. Gardening is leisure for me. So the wait, wait the a sec. Can I can I pause a second? So leisure, yeah. the basis of culture, isn't one of his main arguments. Peeper's main arguments is that we only really know ourselves in leisure. We mm -hmm. know the purpose of our existence in leisure. Leisure reminds us who we are and why we're made. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So it's an attitude of the mind and a condition of the soul that fosters a capacity 
to receive the reality of the world. And it helps us to understand ourselves as a created and redeemed being within a world that has meaning. So let me repeat this summary. An attitude of the mind and a condition of the soul that fosters a capacity to receive the reality of the world. Leisure helps us to understand ourselves as a created and redeemed being within a world that has meaning. How does gardening give you this attitude of the mind and condition of the soul? There's a stillness and a meditation and a silence that sort of happens. And there's a celebration of the meaningfulness of creation and my participation in it. And it's and it's not necessarily productive in the sense of like, how many calories did I just burn while I dug that hole? Or what how food? much how much how much money am I gonna save my family? You know, so like I'm 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 not a homesteader, all right. I'm not squirreling away my winter's supply, my year's supply of green beans. I'm doing this with my three children and I definitely use a grocery store. <laughs> I really respect homesteaders. I kind of want to be like them. But first, I feel like I need to be like you. So keep talking. <laughs> keep talking, little sister. So so why do you garden, Katie? Let's keep talking about that. So it reminds you you're a creature that you are, in some sense, gardening is restful for you. You, look tra- you lose track of time. You kind mm-hmm. of become immersed in the web of relationships within creation. Um, yes. What else? It's my play. Um, It's your play. (laughs) As adults, you know, if your child wants to play with you, come play with me, mama. At least for me, I sort of have to take a deep breath and I'm not usually really in it. You know, like I'll push the digger back and forth and make some beeping sounds. And I don't know if they can tell that I'm pretending to play (laughs) or not. But I'm... I usually am pretending. But if I'm outside working in the dirt with plants and looking at the plants, observing them, seeing if they're growing, why they're growing, if they aren't growing, why they aren't growing, or, oh, look, there's a caterpillar. And then, you know, there's an opportunity to call the kids over and say, come see, look at this caterpillar. Anybody want to touch it? Yeah. Um, so you can, uh, so there's opportunity c- to connect with them in, in that way. And the joy is real versus yes. pushing the digger back and forth, making beeping sounds. I love that. Yes. The joy <laughs> is real. <laughs> the joy is real when you're outside. <laughs> yeah. So I find it pretty hard to garden with kids. Maybe my garden, I think part of it is that I don't always accept my limitations and prioritize my aims in gardening. Our garden boxes, which are lovely, they're constructed actually, dear listeners, by my husband and Katie's husband over Thanksgiving break uh, last year or so. And they're beautiful and they give me a thrill of happiness whenever I look at them. And they have seeds and little growing things in them. But I feel like I don't have enough space, Katie, to kind of let my kids have at a patch of ground because all the good soils in those garden boxes. Mm-hmm. How, uh, so... There, there's like four or five questions I want to ask you all. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so first is, how do you garden with kids? And then how do you garden with kids if you, A, want to harvest and, and B, you know, you want to harvest at the end of things and B, you genuinely value their participation in the gardening process. 
mm-hmm. how do you garden with kids? <laughs> well, a few things, many things actually, but two things right off the bat come to mind. So you have to think about what your attitude and expectations are, which I think is what you're, you're getting at. Like, how do I, how do I get a harvest out of that? Um, and then I would just sort of like gently remind you, well, if this is going to be about leisure for you, the non-productive play side. And I mean, for, for me, so like in order for it to be about play, I have to take a deep breath, sometimes often, and sometimes it turns into hyperventilating. Oh my gosh, they're stepping on this again, and I just can't handle it today. Um, but they're compacting the soil. Get off the soil. Exactly. Get off the soil now. It's about not only the relationships that I have with my plants and the worms and the bugs and the uh, beneficial bacteria and all that, but it's also about cultivating a relationship with my ch- child, um, children. Give yourself pep talks about what your expectations are. What are some of your pep talks? My pep talks usually consist of like my long-term hopes for my children. Like I want them to love gardening. I want them to love being outside. I want them to understand how a seed grows or doesn't, why that might be. I want them to be wondering about the hows and the whys and of reality. I do want a tomato, but it's not so much whether I get a tomato out of it. It's whether I'm helping them think about all those things and experience those things and have a foundation for learning and for life and understanding reality. It seems like you're talking about something that's not just a foundation for something further, but it itself is the foundation. It's a foundation for being. No further goal, just to be in the meaning of things. Do you You have to want that more than you want the tomato? (laughs) Yes. Okay, that's hard for me. <laughs> and no, I do a lot of talking about the kind of end point goals you are proposing. I think when it comes to putting the plants in the ground, I want the tomato. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, sometimes, are. sometimes no, but that's one of the things you need to think about and grab a hold of when you, when you draw kids into gardening. Yeah. Educating them, whether it's, whether it's cooking with them, which, you know, is a whole nother ball of wax or gardening with them. What is it really about? Yes. You want some, something edible produced, (laughs) hopefully, or something beautiful. I mean, so that's, that's something to consider is like, are you doing flowers? Are you doing vegetables? Are you doing fruit? That sort of thing. You know, so like all of these practical considerations, they'll have an opinion about if you talk to them. I I need to sort of prepare what's going to be possible ahead of time and then sort of guide them, you know, like, so if you want to harvest, you need to guide your children towards things that are more likely to be successful with uh, a minimum of care or in some cases, over-enthusiastic care. Give examples. (laughs) Give examples. So guide them towards things that need either a minimum of care or things that need a lot of care. So what does Um, that mean? So there are gardening people. Yeah. So like seeds are, are a cheap, inexpensive way to start. And what I like to do is just buy a couple of packs of seeds. You know, like if the season of life that I'm in just has too many demands and I'm generally sort of a person who doesn't like to baby my plants anyway. 
otherwise high demand season of life. I'll just buy a couple packs of seeds and spend some time outside with the kids poking them into the ground and seeing if they grow. Um, And sometimes they remember the seeds are there and they're excited about watering them and sometimes they don't. So one year we had to redo the under slab plumbing because we live in southeast Texas and nobody has basements and the plumbing gets, it it was metal. The the pipes were metal and so they had to be replaced uh, because they were breaking through. And so they dug down into the ground and they attached it to the sewer. So there was this big grassless spot in our backyard and I just threw down some some lettuce seeds. I was like, well, we need some ground cover. I don't want erosion. <laughs> and so I threw grass or not grass seeds. I threw, let, threw lettuce leaves down. And so that's where we gathered some, some lettuce leaves over the course of the spring till it get too, got too hot. And then they bolted. You can sort of be experimental in how you plant things. Or if that drives you crazy, find a local plant shop, buy some seedlings. I would I would suggest when you're thinking about planting, you know, it's sort of like a, a plant party, the way that professional party planners say that a quarter to a third of the people you RSVP are going to say no. Well, depending on the age and skill and over-enthusiasm of your kids, sort of count on that number of plants <laughs> dying dust. yes dying not, you know not <laughs> uh, not responding not responding no saying no you know there not there we responding. get into like the parables of like some seeds fall on rocky ground and some seeds are watered to death are watered to death or stepped on by the toddler <laughs> And the seeds that are successful are the ones, <laughs> yes, behind the fence. <laughs> behind the fence, yes. I mean, I, I mean, also has to do with like personality. You're more organized than I am, and so the whole idea of throwing lettuce leaves down in the middle of your backyard would probably drive you nuts because it just would. Whereas <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> you think it's funny in my backyard, but not in yours. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Thing is, is it would never occur to me, but I'm so, I'm sort of amazed that you did that and that you grew food out of that. That kind of impresses me. Like it just wouldn't occur to me. That's also a bit. That's also <laughs> okay. one of the differences. But it's not that I wouldn't do it, although I might not if it did occur to me. It's just that it didn't occur to me. It wouldn't. Occur yes. To me. <laughs> it's marvelous. So can we? Can I ask you now about some of your more zany planting? Yeah. Projects. One thing I've noticed is that you have planted some kind of odd things from time to time. So avocado seeds, um, pineapple tops. And I just think there's kind of this thrill, this kind of joy to it. This, um, hey, let's see what happens, uh, boys. Let's let's try this out. And it's really low pressure. So one thing I was wondering is that if listeners, I don't know, at some point, I decided to overcome my fear of failure and try gardening. At some point I tried to garden and it wasn't very successful. And then I kind of quit for a couple of years and then I tried again because it's really good to kind of push into our fear mm-hmm. of failure. Right. <laughs> and I don't know, some some of your more zany projects seem to me like a great way for somebody who just wanted to grow something, anything. And if it if it's not a big success, it doesn't matter because you're doing something a little zany anyway. 
Yeah, a lot of my zany experimental gardening, honestly, uh, otherwise would have gone into the garbage or the compost. It's kitchen scraps. There are so many things that you can use and repurpose as as plants. Um, you know, so like you mentioned, the the pineapple tops. I clearly I don't live in the Great White North somewhere extremely cold. I live in southeast Texas near Houston, and the weather here is different. You know. We can grow basically all year round, which is really bizarre to me. But anyway, so these these pineapple tops, you just cut off the top normally. You let it the flesh sort of dry out a little bit for a day or two on your counter. And then <laughs> you bring it outside and you just sort of nestle it into the ground, into the dirt, uh, so that it stays upright and it grows roots into the soil. It's like a succulent, you know, like those little, it's kind of like a cactus, basically. The leaves, I've done three of them. Two of them were very successful. I had them for three years in my front yard. Yeah. And then they just got killed in the blast that came through. Yeah. The Arctic blast that came through. Was it in February? Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. So, you know, and like the kids, the kids eat an apple and determine that they're going to go plant the seeds even though, you know, we've never actually had any apple trees grow. You know, dry beans, you can go poke those. We've, we've, we've grown some some black beans. You can do garbanzo beans or use chili seeds as you're, as you're cutting open a chili or a, oh, mm-hmm. um, a pepper. Yeah. If you have a really good watermelon this summer, save the seeds, plant them. Does it have to be an organic watermelon? No. Will, will the conventional seeds grow? In some cases, yes, they'll grow. In some, in some cases, no, they won't. Like they might not grow something that can be fertilized or something. But that's an experiment. Try it out. Yeah. Neat. And I sort of got that idea from a book that you had probably when you were in your little gardening phase called Garden Anywhere yes. by this very trendy British lady named Alice Fowler. She was so hip. She was very hip, but she would, she would like dumpster dive in dresses. <laughs> so she was like gardening on the cheap, yes. which made it, which made it okay. <laughs> yes. And yeah. And it. with no space. So she was, right. she was, she proposed all these different ways to garden. Even if you only have a patio, just grow right. something, grow anything. The heart of the book was thrift and she was all about just grow something. You don't need to belong to the horticulture society. It doesn't have to be a posh thing. Just find a nook and plant something in it. We had the overpriced wine store down the street was always um, putting out wooden wine crates and we collected so many of those and we, a couple we turned into window boxes, which were beautiful. <laughs> eventually yeah well even if they were just boxes full of dirt (laughs) (laughs) yeah those boxes were beautiful just as boxes (laughs) that book katie garden anywhere i found it really liberating because its message was look around you and when you start looking you'll see plenty of opportunities to grow things and you'll be surprised by how life wants to live that book made me think gardening doesn't have to be done by an expert it can be done by me and just maybe i could look as chic and bohemian as Alice Fowler. All right, back to the kids. How does being outside shape your day? What's your relationship with the outside like on a random day? How much time do your boys spend outside? Hours every day. It's really vital. It's really vital. (laughs) Vital, yes. How is it vital? Um, It helps them burn energy. It gives them... It builds their strength and their confidence in their bodies and 
It builds their relationship with each other. They're good brothers to each other. What else have I noticed? Um, Decision making. Decision making. Oh, yes. Yeah. This is something before when I was when I was single and working, I was driving to school one morning and I heard something on NPR about the commercialization of toys. Like it started out talking about the burper blast or some some gun. It was the first toy that was advertised outside of the Christmas season. I don't know when back in the 60s or something. Oh, when toys were only advertised around Christmas time? Yes. And wow. so this was the first toy that was advertised outside of the Christmas season. It was done by Mattel. Thank you, Mattel. And so and then it just went on to talk about how, among other things, so many so many toys, most toys nowadays, your kid gets the whole story provided for them. There's a book, there's a TV show, there's a, a computer game, there's the brushes and pajamas, brushes and, and pajamas and undies. And, you know, your eating utensils and the food you eat all have the show. Right. The plot, the characterization, the rules, the world has already been imagined for you. It's all provided. Um, and so there's no opportunity to imagine or create or self-regulate in play. You know, like I'm really big into helping the technical term is executive functioning. I'm really into helping my children develop executive function, which is self-regulation. And so from from the very beginning with them, they I let them play outside even as pretty young children fairly unsupervised you know obviously the very young you know like the one-year-olds and the two-year-olds get a little bit more eyeballing and making sure they're safe but um, I still give them a lot of space to explore and to make mistakes and get hurt being outside is where I feel like it's better for that all to happen (laughs) not inside the house yeah (laughs) there are different rules inside just the whole idea of unstructured play is is really attractive to me and I think they the children also really value it they go outside when they wake up sometimes and they'll spend an hour out there before breakfast and I have to drag them inside and make them eat breakfast or sometimes they ask to eat breakfast outside and sometimes I say yes and sometimes I say no that's amazing yeah because somehow they, they go outside and they get so engaged in whatever they're imagining and playing mm-hmm. and putting together out there that they, they're just really stuck in and they don't want to come in. No. <laughs> all, the, all before breakfast. That's kind of amazing. You know, so we homeschool. And so then, then they have to come in and we do school. And then it's lunchtime. If the weather's nice, they're usually on the ball about asking me, can we have lunch outside? And then we'll eat lunch outside. And then they just continue, you know, on a beautiful day, they, and even sometimes really hot days. Which you get a lot of in Houston. Which we do. Really hot and humid days. Yeah. We're we're blessed. We have a really big oak tree, a live oak tree in our backyard, which morning sun and afternoon shade. And the afternoon is always the hottest part of the day. Yeah. And so... They, they, and they tune into that oak this. tree is really, they've tuned into this. Yes. That so oak trees really, really facilitates then all this time outside. Yes. Given, I mean, given your hot, humid yes. environment and need for shade. Yeah. Your boys have tuned into the fact that the morning sun is softer and then yes. in the afternoon they get shade. Yes. 
and they will they will wake up you know because on summer summer mornings the sun comes up really early and they'll be out there at six o'clock whoa (laughs) and they'll they'll get more than an hour in before breakfast time because they realize that it's cooler and it's more pleasant and then they appreciate the shade in the afternoon Katie Kins, do you have a TV? We do, actually, but it's hidden underneath of a, uh, a, a retractable <laughs> wall map. Yeah, so it, it's not like this this thing that, that our, our room is structured around. We just sort of had a conversation about this with, <laughs> with our kids. Like, you try and decorate around what you find important. Right. I see that. So you make visible space and physical space point to what's valuable, meaningful in your family. How do you gather? What do you gather around? So we've been sick recently. And so the TV has been uncovered more than usual. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, I bet. How much time do they, how much screen time do they get per day? Usually none. We've been sick recently. And so they've probably gotten an hour or two each day while we've been sick, but that's unusual and they know it. (laughs) You know, I was just looking because I was thinking about how much time your boys spend outside. So CNN Health Mm -hmm. put out an article on October 2019 that U.S. teens use screens more than seven hours a day on average, and that's not including schoolwork. And that came out. Oh, that came out even before kids were doing distance learning. COVID. Oh my gosh. It's just wretched. <laughs> Excuse me. It is. It is. It's um, really unhealthy. We wonder why they can't look us in the eye or have conversations. It's because we're not asking them. We're not enga- engaging their humanity. They're not engaging their humanity for hours and hours a day. I mean, think about right back in October, 2019, kids were go- doing in-person learning and somehow they were finding seven hours a day. Like that's not a, they don't have a lot of time when they're not in school and awake. Right. So they must be stealing some of that time from sleep, obviously, and from human interactions and relationships. Absolutely. They are. Yeah. No, that, that reminds me. So it's been a few years since I've read these books, but, um, Leonard Sachs, he's an MD, PhD. He really gets into just how bad it is for people, children, um, specifically what he's talking about in these cases, to have so much screen time, so much unreality. Uh, it really, it's really harmful in so many ways for kids. And it's meant to be addicting. You know, like there's a reason why of the few people in Silicon Valley who do have children, they, they severely restrict, you know, like an hour a week and they, the screen time that their kids have. They know that what they're producing is addicting. They send their kids to schools with low technology or no technology on purpose. <laughs> they want their children to learn to think first and experience reality. I don't know. My my husband also works in technology and he talks about how people who make technology make it so that it is easily learned. There's going to be no problem in our kids figuring out how to use it as they need to use it. The people who design technology make it easy to learn and figure out how to use. And so our children aren't going to have any trouble catching up. 
which is what everybody's worried about, which is why they think kids need lots of technology early and off. Anyway, yeah, so, there's yeah, such so, a danger with so many hours spent looking at a screen that you're not actually learning how to be human. You're learning how to be um, that technology becomes your ontology, that technology becomes your way of seeing being. Technology becomes your way of being in the world and seeing um, the world. You see the world in terms of what can be done to it, what how it can be changed, how you can modify the natural. And in fact, the natural world doesn't exist until you've made it the way you want it. When I say technology is our becoming our ontology, what I mean is we don't think something is real until we've made it. Another way of saying that is that virtual reality is becoming the very way in which we conceive of reality. Well, and it's it's a it's a lot about your personal it's all whims and desires. It's all self-driven. There are no natural boundaries. Um, and so like being outside is really good for gently learning what natural boundaries there are for people, for plants, for animals, for the world, you know, let's talk about what makes the earth healthy, what makes, what makes people healthy and all of that. And so I'm thinking, I don't, I don't remember where where what the study was but i remember hearing about some study about kids playing in um sort of in an unsupervised setting with, you know that they didn't have it was just like bare earth around the the play sets a lot of the play sets were were child made you know so not necessarily stable <laughs> that sort of thing and they were sort of analyzing the risks that the kids were taking and they were actually less risky the longer they were there, you know, so they began to learn what, what the boundaries, the limitations, the limitations, that's what I'm talking about. Of their environment, of their body, of the play structure. Of of what they personally could do, even though they were getting stronger as time went on, for example, you know, so like physically they were becoming stronger and more fit and even more confident. So they, they, they would take more calculated risks based on what they knew about their own abilities. Um, and so in some ways they were becoming more adventurous, but they would also take into account things like, I don't have a soft landing spot. So if I'm not okay taking a hard tumble on the ground, I'm not going to jump from here to there or try to jump from here to there. You know, a lot of our public play structures are very and you know like i don't want kids to have concussions or like no you're you're pretty concussion adverse like (laughs) listeners know katie's talked a lot about like letting her kids go free range in her backyard but katie's actually quite concussion anxious yes (laughs) it all coexists in one mother but i think the point you're on and making is that being outside is so much more humanizing than all this time on screens what if we pushed ourselves to reverse the numbers. I think if we're not pushing ourselves, if we're not pushing our children out the door to go outside and play, we're going to lose. Our children are going to lose a concept of deep relationship, a deep self-development. They're going to lose a sense of the natural as what determines the real, and they're going to adopt a sense that technology determines what is real. I think technology undermines caring and critical capacities, empathy, because in fact, you're just disconnected from your body and your body is your source of community. It's your source of empathy on a very gut level, root level. The, the screens are so much easier. It's, it's really 
easy when you've got a sick kid or a whiny kid or you need to get something done to just be like, here, here, take this device and just calm down. Just calm down. Instead of here is the door, go outside and play. And regulate yourself (laughs) and have fun. One is parenting from expediency and one is parenting with the long-term goals of your child's humanity in mind. And I've totally handed my child a phone as a temporary solution. It's as easy as walking downhill, but I think we ease ourselves too often. We make it easy too often. And I think we need more creativity and grit in this area. I know that I do. I mean, when they're not sick, of course. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, even, and honestly, even sometimes when we're sick, sometimes they just kind of go outside and they just kind of sit there and they, I don't know, look at the trees or. They're probably remembering they're, what they yeah. played before out there right. and think about what they want to do and they feel up for it. It's a very comfortable place for them. I know that we spend a lot of time outside with your boys when we visit and it's just really interesting to know that that's a constant thing for you and that it's kind of an extension of your house. They're outside a lot, all the time. Definitely. Definitely an extension of our house. Joseph and I are really interested in this book. Joseph is my husband. What's the title of the book? A Pattern Language. It's this book. Well, it's written by a number of people. It's an architecture book by Christopher Alexander. It talks about the different ways that architecture helps people be human. What I was going to say about a pattern language in our house and the outside being sort of an extension of it is he talks about private space versus public space with regards to homes, degrees of intimacy, you know, starting all the way from outside the home in the front, you know, on the street would be very unintimate. And then as you're getting closer, you know, like there might be a low, a low wall around your front yard, which would allow you to have a conversation with someone public in the street, but then also provide a little bit of a boundary for your home. And then as you go up the sidewalk, then there would be a porch and that would be more intimate. And then you'd be inside the house. And so then inside the house, you'd have this public and private space. In the public spaces, it's very open. And in the private spaces, like it would be like for the bedroom. And he's a big fan of making bedrooms just be small and have enough space basically for a bed to sleep. To, to make your bedrooms about going to sleep and that's it, you know, so it's not a where you keep your toys or your phone or your computer or uh, gather with your friends. And so all of those things need spaces somewhere else in your home or outside of your home. And so our backyard is the space where our children have privacy and independence and where they can gather with their friends, you know, whereas like some kids, when they have friends over, they just go to their bedroom and close the door. Right. Well, Interesting. I don't like that for a number of reasons, but <laughs> the, the backyard is where they get that. And so yes. they spend they have, a lot more time privacy outside. and independence. Yeah. Both in their backyard. Right. right. And it's not that I can't come outside and I do come outside, um, but I spend a lot time lot less time outside because I am trying to protect the privacy and the independence of the backyard for them Um, because I know that they need that because they don't get it in other spaces. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So your backyard is this differentiated space where your boys can act independently. They kind of have created their own world 
and it's a differentiated space. It's not exactly a domestic space, but it's still safe and yet has the independence that they need to develop their ideas and their abilities and to experience their limits over time. Since we're talking about your backyard. Yeah. Tell me, what does this backyard oasis look like? Katie, can you describe your backyard for our listeners? <laughs> you love this. Uh, me you too. Love this. <laughs> it's really liberating. Oh. Brace yourselves, listeners. <clears throat> Here it is. There's this really lovely paved patio with some Gated. furniture on it. Gated patio. Yep. And this really lovely live oak tree. And we have some white Christmas lights that are strung up from the porch roof up into the live oak tree, uh, which provides wonderful shade on the hot summer afternoons. We have something called the fort. And it's really just like a a wooden swing set that we got from some neighbors down the street. So it's kind of old. Has a good slide has a good slide and some you have some fenced off area by your privacy fence for gardening right yes and some fruit yeah, trees so we have a great fruit tree and some orange trees that are by the house but the land itself is full of holes because my children love to dig holes <laughs> big holes <laughs> Little holes, medium-sized holes, holes that get connected because they want to build a bayou. And then they use some of the dirt from doing that to build a dam. And so we're talking holes so big that when we really get some flash floods sometimes in southeast Texas and we have a canoe and one time and they they would be happy to do this again, but they've only done it one time uh, so far. Uh, They actually got the canoe out themselves. I don't know whether, well, they might have pestered me to like help them wrangle it because they were pretty small at the time, but there was enough water that they could float the canoe in their hull. (laughs) In the trench. In the trench. (laughs) In in the pond, as they were calling it. This is a legend. This is a legend. You know, and so like they were able to go canoeing in the backyard. It was, it was fun and exciting and tippy and they got a sense for being in a boat. And yet not risky. Right, exactly. (laughs) So in gardening with children and in living the way that I do, your listeners should also consider uh, their mud and dirt tolerances, you know? Consider and also reconsider them, I think. That's why I want people to hear about your backyard. Your backyard pushes me in a good way, encourages me to think about what is my backyard really for? Does the dirt we bring in have to be from some well-organized hike or can... They bring in dirt just all on their own from an adventure that they created in the backyard. Honestly, like we had just moved here when I soon after I saw your backyard and I just thought to myself when I came home to my backyard, well, I should lighten up. (laughs) (laughs) Because... Because Katie's backyard is so fun and it's clearly such a source of life for her boys. And it's so fun. Like, and it's so healthy. It's so humanizing. They can go out there and they can dig holes. She's not a control freak. She's not expecting her backyard to look like a magazine. 
She's got some things that she loves about her backyard. Uh, She's growing things and she's growing boys, really healthy, happy boys who can do the thing like in in an age appropriate way. They can self-regulate. They come when they're called. They can come up with games that they probably play for days at a time. There's probably like a scenario (laughs) that they play out maybe for days or weeks at a time. Like so awesome. Like they've, you know, they're entering a whole world in their backyard. I can laugh at the trench and I'm, I'm glad I don't have one. And yet I wish I did <laughs> <laughs> a little more land. So you could have that part dedicated to trenches, <laughs> <laughs> but um, we don't have quite the shade that you have. And so right. they don't, they don't have the same. We don't, we're out in the backyard some, but not quite for the hours that you guys are. We're out quite a lot in our, in our backyard and in our front yard. And we're kind of, we're a little bit of a hub a play spot for the neighborhood, which I'm, I'm happy to say that that's true, but it's mm-hmm. still, it's still different than your backyard. Your backyard, I think is, is beautiful despite the trench, <laughs> even with the trench, the, the trench adds a kind of beauty to add truthfulness to the whole, the whole thing that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's very generous. It's, it is beautiful in a surprising sort of way. But you had to get off the bandwagon of that your backyard needs to be another kind of living room with the same kind of controls, the same kind of parameters, the same kind of formalities almost has to look a certain way. There's a kind of social pressure about it, as well as our own desires for comfort and beauty of a particular kind, right? I think you were going to say something about artificial turf. What I was going to say about artificial turf was I actually contemplated it for like a whole three minutes one time. I was like, I really just want a beautiful backyard. Maybe I can put artificial turf in. And I was like, but then they couldn't dig. And then the whole cascade of reasons why that was important, like went that little the little crack of like, but then they couldn't dig. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I decided that, well, I'll just wait till I can actually grow real grass or real plants. We've talked about gardening as humanizing, and one of the things that it does teach us about our humanity is our limits, or another trendy word for this is boundaries. You've also used the words kind of differentiation of space. Can you talk about that in your family? I think you have an example of this. The front yard is more of my space. So if if you experience frustration gardening, sort of have, have have some boundaries set as far as like, these pots are mine, or this area is mine and this area. You can't dig in the front yard. Right. You can't dig in the front yard. Or if you can dig in the front yard, you're going to be doing it with me and I'm going to be giving you specific instructions. And if you're not able to follow those instructions, then you'll need to find something else to do. Yes. Good choices. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Katie, what other lessons do you have for us about gardening with children as a humanizing activity? People should compost. If you're going to garden with your children, I think you should also compost. Depending on your situation, you could just dig a little hole and put the compost in every day, or you could have a you could buy a like a plastic garbage container and drill holes in it with the drill and put a lid on it. That's what we do. It keeps the rodents out and things like that. Or you could just have an open pile. Or you could get one of those expensive barrels or whatever. But it's really satisfying and it's really good for the kids to see how 
what happens with compostable stuff. It turns into beautiful dirt to enrich your soil and they get a chance to pick up worms, appreciate worms for making dirt, beautiful dirt. And so then they're, then they're seeing that all of all of these scraps that would otherwise get thrown away are useful and beautiful and nutritious and life-giving. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, it's amazing to me to see how much we save from putting in the trash when we compost. We change the garbage bag a lot less. In my opinion, composting is something that's worth doing badly. I don't yeah. worry about my green versus brown mix. I just... Me either. Just I uh, just say like, don't worry about it and just go for it. That's right. actually was my philosophy with podcasting and it was it's my philosophy with composting. It's my philosophy with composting and gardening. <laughs> don't worry, just compost it. Katie Kins, in, in summary, why garden? To claim or reclaim our humanity, to grow the exactly. humanity of our children, to make them know their finitude and to know their creative possibilities both. And nature seems a better place to recognize this paradox than, say, video games. Because in nature, your child is a creature, albeit maybe the highest creature, a creature among other creatures, amongst other created things. Your child vis-a-vis technology has the relationship of one who dominates, one who controls, one who determines simply on their terms. Nature's a better place to learn the paradox of possibility and limit than technology because humanity comes out of nature. I did not make myself, right? I didn't, there are certain givens, right? Certain givens to life. And and kind of gardening is this metaphor for it. There are certain givens. There's sun and rain and soil and seeds. And then there are gifts. There's surprise when things grow. It's always a miracle. When things grow, isn't it? Yes. I'm always surprised when the seeds produce sprouts. It's just amazing to me. Like, honestly, I, I like, yeah, it's always a bit of a miracle and joy. Yes. Like it did this and it didn't have to. They could have all been dead. We had um after the brutal snow, I had, I thought everything died. And so I replanted. So the first time I planted, I thought it was too late, but I planted. And then we got that brutal ice and snow storm that lasted for days and I thought surely everything's dead so now I have to plan again and this is me risking because I just think like oh it's not going to be a success so why bother doing it but I did it anyway so (laughs) triumph there victory there so I replanted again and then I I there was something like it was like two inches high but I didn't pull it out I wasn't sure what it was and it turned out to be lettuce yeah, some stupid lettuce tape I'd pl- I'd planted the first time around that I thought like it comes in a tape <laughs> like so you can get lettuce seeds in a tape it's in really a row silly. right like in a paper tape and you plant the tape and so one out of probably hundreds of lettuce oh seeds gosh survived this I don't even know if the seeds were mostly dead anyway mostly dead he's been mostly <laughs> dead for several days um <laughs> it's a princess bride illusion I couldn't help myself. I thought the seeds were probably mostly dead anyway, but then we had this this beautiful romaine lettuce head that we ate recently that survived. Incredible. Wow. That's fantastic. The cultivation of wonder is Yeah. You can't help but do it (laughs) when you garden. And then I we were gonna snip 
the leaves, but my daughter pulled it out by its roots because she knew we were having it for dinner. She's like, here you go. Oh. I was like, ah, okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. you did it. You did it. Thank you. I won't yell at you. But honestly, if you were going to make a list of those things that define what's specifically human, it's hard to find something better than gardening and being outside for our children. There's creativity, order, work, peace, patience, limits, gratuity, the goodness of embodiment. Being outside gives them contact with these realities. So how does it remind us of our humanity? We're dependent. Mm -hmm. There are certain givens, but, but it ultimately we're not in control. Yeah. Um, there's gifts and it involves the gift of the, the seed is involves some kind of a task, right? There's hard work involved. Sometimes there's perseverance that's needed. Um, there's patience that's needed. Lots of patience. Yep. Sometimes with the seeds, sometimes yes. with your children. Yes. <laughs> or the weather. <laughs> yeah. Or the weather. Okay. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation, Katie. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it, Jerry. I'm glad we have the kind of relationship where I can interview on my podcast and it's not awkward. Me too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Catherine Leano. Thank you for considering how gardening with your children and letting them be outside is a really beautiful way to form and inform their humanity. We have an amazing book list of both fiction and nonfiction works about gardening and being outside in the show notes. We really think these works will support and inspire you. At our website, brightwingschildrensbooks.com, we also have the book list there, as well as book lists from other episodes. Enjoy. Katie, I was talking with one of our sisters or our mother about doing this interview with you on gardening. And she said, Katie's house and yard remind me of Mrs. Piggle-Wiggles. <laughs> I want to know who said that. She said, whoever she was said, yes, doesn't she give the boys shovels and let them dig holes in her yard? <laughs> and isn't that one of the reasons they love Mrs. Piggle-Wiggles' house? And they want to go there. After all, we know that Mrs. Pigglewiggle is the woman who loves and understands children, Katie. <laughs> mom, mom said she had a mom said she had a dream about me. Oh, uh, well, I don't know whether she was while she was visiting or after she went home. And she said that I was playing with my children, which made me sort of gasp. <laughs> and, In this uh, dream, you were playing yes. with your children. And then she realized that I was a child also. Beautiful. There's a lot of symbolism there. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I laughed and I said, yeah, I kind of think so, mom. <laughs> Beautiful.